Vlad here, the host of Burgundy Radio. The Colorado Avalanche season was put on pause days before we recorded our episode on December 19th. Shortly thereafter, I came down with an illness that delayed the release of that episode, as well as subsequent episodes recorded afterward. As a result, the contents of this episode may seem dated now that so much time has passed, but we hope you enjoy it all the same. We at Burgundy Radio appreciate your support and listenership, and we look forward to bringing you more regularly scheduled content. So please enjoy this episode of Burgundy Radio, Tales from the Infirmary, Volume 2. From all of us to all of you out there in Radioland, season's greetings from everybody here at Burgundy Radio. Thanks for listening. Trying to recover. Verhege cross ice pass. Jumbo Show scores. Joe Thornton cross ice. Walking in. Montour shoots and scores. Brandon Montour filled in and ties the game at two. And now here's Miko. Gives it for McKinnon. Still has a burst of energy left on the ship. Drops it. Burakovsky. Richard. He scores. It's a hat trick for Andre Burakovsky. He puts the And a goal mouth scramble as Kemper kicked that one out. It got behind him, did the puck, and kept out by Aaron Johnson again. Oh, the Condors come to play tonight. Here we go, 3.9 left. Can the Evs win a draw? Florida's been dominant all night. It's tipped to the near side, two to go, one to go. Onto an empty net, and it hits the post, but it doesn't matter. Cleaned up by Rantanen. Moving forward is McKinnon. Off to Burakovsky. Right back to McKinnon. Takes it in behind the net. Throws it out in front. Score! What a beautiful pass from Nathan McKinnon. New York does not want to have Colorado on the power play if they can help it for the rest of this night because it had looked dangerous on that first power play. Here's McKinnon. Left wing face off. Dot straight away. Now McCarr. Shot. Score! A from straight away from Kale McCarr. 2-0 Avalanche. Out of box, down low. That's deflected in. Score! Ryan Strome with great hands. And the Rangers cut the lead in half. Justin Barron making his NHL debut tonight with Devon Taves going on COVID protocol. To Kadri, Rister. Rebound. Score! Nechushkin off the Kadri wrist shot. And it's back to a two-goal lead for the Avalanche. So the Rangers with a must kill here. That fired shot. Score! And the rebound. Kuffer off the drive from McCarr. The second power play goal of the night for Colorado. And they now have a three-goal lead. McCarr to get it there. You wonder if there might be a little goaltender interference there by Kuffer. <laughs> As you said, why not? Right? If you don't challenge, you're down three against a really good team with seven and a half minutes to go. I mean, you're only... Cha- After video review, there was goaltender interference. Therefore, there was no goal on the plate. 
Boudreau and Kadri on the draw. Loose, controlled, hot, wrist shot, save, Kemper, the rebound, score! Gautier got there first, and the Rangers with the empty net. It pays off. They are in it, down by one, 2.02 to go. A break by Nachushkin, moves in alone, score! This is going to be yet another home win for the Colorado Avalanche. 4-2 is your final. The Avalanche have now won five in a row and eight in a row here at Ball Arena. Somebody's getting two points tonight. Whether you like it or not, Forsberg fakes the shot. Sends it through. They score! Forsberg, at the end of the side of the net. Good bumper, they score! Kadri let it fly. Rebound, Ranton, and he scores. The deflection went right to number 96, and he is deadly from that spot. Forsberg with Janot. And they score! It's deflected off of Colorado! Gerard to Ranton, tic-tac-toe, they score! What a play! Yose shoots, he scores! Yes, sir! The captain, Roman Yose, stepping up with the defeated lineup. A huge power play goal. Carrier has a chance to get a stick on it. Ekholm drives it down the wall, big bounce, bullseye! Matthias Ekholm got a beautiful bounce off of Stanchion, and he split the uprights to make it 5-2 with the empty net goal. They have avenged the loss in Denver. And after 22 years, Raymond Mark! Greetings one and all near and far, reaching your ears wherever you are. Welcome to Burgundy Radio. I am Vlad, your host of Burgundy Radio. Joining our starting lineup is Earl 06. Earl, season's greetings. And back to you, Vlad. Thank you very much. Also joining our starting lineup is Tiger Vixen. Jackie, happy holidays. Ho, ho, ho to you. When we last graced your digital airwaves, the Avs were in the middle of their three-game homestand and just hours away from facing the Florida Panthers at Ball Arena. Andre Burakovsky would give the Avalanche a 2-0 lead with his 10th and 11 goals on the season, but goals by Ageless Wonder Joe Thornton and Brandon Montour, two and a half minutes apart, tied the game with under 10 minutes left to play. Andre Burakovsky would then put this game away with his 12th of the season, earning his first career hat-trick and giving the Avalanche a 3-2 win. On our previous episode, Jackie played both ends of the prediction pool by saying this game would either be decided by a 2-1 margin or in blowout fashion. And while 3-2 isn't technically 2-1 by the measurement of literal goals, it's still a victory by a one-goal margin. So thumbs up to you, Jackie. Thanks. <laughs> I'll take it, even though that definitely is a little <laughs> prediction that covered a lot of ends of the spectrum. So lost in this game is a scary incident that took place early in the second period when Avs defenseman Jacob McDonald took a hard hit from Florida's Ryan Lomberg deep in the Avs zone. 
McDonald was skating along the near boards when Lombard caught him flush with a solid check that sent the abs defenseman down to the ice, where he remained motionless for several minutes before medical staff loaded him up onto a stretcher. Nicholas Obey-Kubel would come to the defense of McDonald as both men would scrap for a few before sitting the obligatory five minutes for fighting. Uh, While I'd rather not hash out this debate of whether hits of this nature are clean, borderline, across the border or otherwise, we have yet again witnessed another example of an NHL hit that, while within the rules, put another player on the shelf. Contrast this with a hit that Sam Girard would deliver later in the game that also met the same criteria but didn't have the same outcome as the Lombard hit on McDonald. Hitting is now becoming such a variable that we're almost reduced to splitting hairs when it comes to this subject. So... What are your thoughts on not just the hip, but the Avs game in general? How do you think they handled things? I'll I think start I'll with... start. Yeah. <laughs> I ahead. think we'll start with the hit. I, let's yeah. just get that out of the way. Um, to me, I thought this clearly was a headshot. I guess there's, I mean, the debate should be is a headshot legal or not? It's clearly a headshot. For me, it's all about the point of impact, the point of contact. And if you s- actually slow it down and look frame by frame at not the angle from behind McDonald, because you can't see anything that way, but you see Lumberg actually turn, lead with his shoulder. So he's like perpendicular to McDonald at that point, jump up because Lomberg's not a, a big guy. And he, and again, it was the same thing as the McKinnon hit. The top of the shoulder is what makes first contact with the head. That's how you knock somebody out. You don't get knocked out with incidental contact. So to me, I don't really see a whole lot of debate here. It's one thing to hit a guy shoulder into the chest and then as the impact comes through then then the arm might hit the head but that doesn't knock guys out and that's not point of contact so to me i don't really see why this isn't clear but you know again we're back to the nhl just really doesn't care so if you accept that then whatever but to me it's pretty clear yeah i mean we've seen three guys stretchered off the ice in, in the past few weeks and it's all the same kind of hit um, and it's it's always justified with the initial point of contact is not the head, and you know I, I think putting that initial thing in there is 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 kind of the sticking point. But it um, is that's the thing. If if it's a shoulder into the chest, that's I don't care if contact. it's. I, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I don't care if the initial point of contact is with the chest. You know, if it just rubs against the chest and then smacks directly into the guy's chin, to me, that's a headshot. Um, you know, they played lip service to trying to get hits like this out of the game a few years ago and kind of turned 180 on it. And now you've gotten, you know, three guys stretchered off the ice. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, you just have to say that, you know, that's kind of what they want. They, they want the violence. Um, you know, they, they want to see people stretchered off the ice. They want to see people hurt. Um, because you know, that that kind of drives the the controversy and, and promotes the violence of the game, um, so that's just kind of the world we live in now. Um, I, I don't think it's just 
coincidence that it's been three guys stretchered off over the past couple of weeks. I, you know, it, it's escalating to a point where, you know, worse and worse things are going to happen. Um, you know, and I, I guess they'll just have to deal with that then. But, you know, I, I just, I, it sounds like Max okay. And, you know, I'm really glad about that. I mean, that, that was just a, a really, really violent collision. And it's, it's good to see that he's, you know, able to deal so quickly after. I wish that they had explained, you know, I would assume he's, he has to go through concussion protocol, which is about a week if you go through all the steps. If you can progress through them pretty quickly, but they didn't explain. I don't know what it been or just say that he was recovering and whatever that means. But, but yeah, everything we heard about is he's walking around. He was able to come to the arena, things like that. But so that's good that he's fine from like a living standpoint, but it's just nobody ever explained what he needs to go through to play again. I guess we'll find out in a week. So. As far as the game went, <clears throat> I think it was interesting last week where we were both ready to give Burkowski the black hole treatment and he kind of <laughs> redeemed himself. <laughs> In the Detroit game, and then came back in Florida and had the hat trick, and you know, basically all three goals um, won the game. Um, I, I, you know, that just typifies the how frustratingly awesome he can be at times. You know, um, you know, he he will go through a stretch where he does just nothing but piss you off for a couple of weeks, and then bang, five goals in two games. I was happy for him too because he'd never got a hat trick before and you could just see how happy he was. He was like relieved and overjoyed. I don't know, just like a look on his face when he scored the third one and then, you know, post game. It was just like it meant a lot to him. So it was really cool to see that and And it was a really tough game too. I mean it's Yeah. That was you know, it, <clears throat> there's been a lot of talk about how the the abs have played sort of low-grade opponents and, and beaten up on them, which they have. I mean, expect them to. Um, but this was a game that, I mean, it, the team was somewhat unrecognizable uh, compared to how so they've been playing for weeks. It was like a breath of fresh air. And, yeah, like scoring seven is fun and all and playing bad teams, but it, it was finally like a real game. It was like competitive. It was playing a good team it was evenly matched you know all those things and then it was physical in a good way like it was team physicality and you know Florida plays that way a little bit so the Avs turned it up a notch and matched them and I thought that made it a good game yeah I mean so, it did, and Berkey didn't get his first goal until what like two minutes left in the, the second period so I mean it was a 0-0 game for most of us yeah, and it's a shame that the nasty hit on McDonald was part of it because other otherwise I thought I didn't have any problem with the hitting, the physicality, you know, things like that. It should have showed that you can have a physical game without stupidity, but unfortunately we had to deal with that little part of it. And I'll agree to that. I thought that this game really had um, a lot of what makes hockey games so fun is it was a very competitive game between two very skilled clubs. One of which is at that point leading the, you know, leading the league 
at the you know in the standings you got some good hits you've got some great uh just it really was like a, in my opinion it was like a chess match for that first uh, period and then that hit just really kind of turned things a little bit on his side but it didn't make it you know become gross it wasn't like yeah it wasn't like just a bunch of gross borderline stuff like it was it was just physical in, in like a good way so i guess proponents of those kind of hits would say well look what happened after it you had a good physical game and not like a stupid one where you're just going for retribution i'd right. say you know you don't need a headshot to get to that point but Right, and I was waiting for uh, McDermott and Gudis to, you know, <laughs> start, you know, start the show off with, you know, the stupidity here. But thankfully, you know, they both reined it in, and it was actually I was really relieved that, like, all right, we're not going down that road. We're just going to see this play out in the course of a natural, well contested matchup between these clubs. And I left, you know, with the at the end of it, it was. I was feeling great. I was like, wow, we saw a probably the best effort, not just on home ice, but this best overall effort by this team this season. Yeah, this I game reminded so. me a lot of the, the Vegas games last year where Reeves wasn't playing. Um, you know, the two really good teams squaring off against each other. Um, you know, the, I, I would say the one thing that's a little weird is you know, it's, it seems like Vegas would dictate the style of the game most of the time. Um, you know, it's kind of rare that we we had a sort of run and gun game with those guys, and, and in this game, definitely like Florida. You know, I don't know if the Avs were were sort of from the word go wanting to play a more low event high defense game, but that's definitely what it was. Um, you wouldn't think that. That Coach Bednar would go into that game and like you know let's let's track meet this and see what happens. Um, so it, that that's I, I I guess it's just weird to me when you see the ads just flip a switch like that. You know, it's like they go from just shellacking to Detroit and and the Rangers the first time and, and Philly before that, um, and then boom, they can play a solid defensive game against a really good team. I feel and like it, they did that though. Like they did in the first game against the Rangers and the score did get out of hand, but I felt like they were tighter in the beginning of that game because it was like the quote unquote good game of that road trip. I mean, after the Toronto game, but that, that was like ancient history by then. So by the end of the road trip, they were like, okay, this is the game that we're going to have to play some defense against this team. And yeah, they did. And the Rags so had I, a rookie goalie in that, so that was that might have been the reason it got out of hand. Right, uh, and it was close in the beginning. Like, remember that uh, Huska made some decent saves in what? New York won seven in a row or something. So it was like a game that they needed to take serious. And I, yeah. I felt that way that the Avs kind of... I doubt it's dictated by what anything Bednar says or anything the coaches do, but it just seemed like the players just take it more serious. Like I said, it, they, they seem to be much more mindful of defense, of tighter checking, you know, all those things that Bednar wishes they would do all the time, but they don't. So in a way, it does feel like they can flip a switch because when they recognize that's needed to win a game, 
they tend to bring it to the table more. Well, I, I was looking at the s- statistics for the, the three games this week, and obviously Nashville is a bit of an outlier just because you know it wasn't a real line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm um, not. We'll get there, but yeah, I'm not. But if you, if you if you look at <laughs> if you look at statistically what they did this week, they were a lot more low event, um, and they really chopped the opponent expected goals rate down without hurting theirs. And that's something you always worry about with the Avs. It's like when they get into these situations where they want to play a little more defensively, sometimes they end up suppressing themselves to the point where it it doesn't work out too well. I think that's the worry, but Benner just always says that if you can control the game defensively, you're doing the right things, blah, blah, blah. You'll have the puck more. Like, all of last year should have proved his point, basically. Like, you can play defensive, and it doesn't mean no offense. It probably means not four goals a game offense, but it's not like we're going to be looking at two-to-one games here either. So I I mean, just under his watch, that's generally been the case, is when they start getting into these situations. My concern is when the offense dries up because it seems like they go through a little bit of ruts. It's usually about this time of year. So maybe they've avoided it or maybe it's going to come in January or whatever. But that, like, it's fun and all to score seven all the time and everyone's getting all these points. But you just worry that you can't get used to that. You can't get used to being able to score at will like that. In that, in it. And when your five on five dries up and you're not getting goals all the time from like nuke, that's when you're really going to have to be able to score with the power play and take those turning points in the game and make sure that you score it so you can win. Yeah. I think it's the opposite. I, 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 I made this point last week, but I, I think that what the staff has looked at is that when they do try to be, overtly defensive they do end up suppressing their own offense and they just can't have that mentality and maybe he's just explaining what he wants them to do better i I don't know i mean after four years you think that that wouldn't be the case but you know i i think they need um to hang sevens on people all the time when they can uh well sure it's fun like take the goals when you can but it's just not as people say, sustainable, or it's it's not the foundation of winning in the playoffs. Like, I guess it's a way to get through the next four or five, however long months. Yeah, but they've, tr- they've tried the opposite in the playoffs, and it hasn't worked for three years in a row. I know, it's scoring is the problem. So Yeah. <laughs> I see what you're, you have to get used to scoring. Yeah, I mean, it's great if it can continue. I just don't think hanging a bunch of goals in like Detroit is going to mean that you can score in the playoffs. I mean, I think it helps. I mean, what would be nice is if you had your your games with Detroit and Philadelphia sprinkled in with the games with Florida and the other Rangers, you know? I mean, it's like, I, I think the problem that people are seeing is like, oh yeah, you know, they're, they're, scoring all these goals against bad teams. It's just the way the schedule is. It's like they play all these bad teams and they play a few good teams. And it's just, it's not, <clears throat> I don't know. Well, it, yeah, it's not a win mixed is up a win. enough. Like I'm not going to you know, take, take it away from them. 
I'm just saying when I think when they start playing the Western Conference, you know, I think after you know most of the Eastern um, trips are over, um, when you get down to sort of the, the second half of the season, you, you tend to play your division more and your your conference more. And I, I think at that point, it, it will be a little more like you play good team, bad team, bad team, good, good, good. You know, you, you'd have a a little less consistency in your level of competition. Well, either way, having this Florida win in their back pocket is good. It shows yeah. them they can win this kind of game, how they can do it, and then it was pretty cool that it was done with the hat trick. It was Burkowski. And, you know, to me, it, it matters more when guys score in certain points of the game or there's garbage time, there's not garbage time. And that stuff leaves an impression on me. Like, scoring is always good, but when, it, let's say, don't, don't mean to pick on him, but, you know, when Joe's just scoring like the sixth and seventh goals. Eh, that doesn't really mean much, but you can get a quality hat trick, and that's all the scoring your team got for the whole game and and won the game, so that's huge. And it should be noted that uh, Burkowski got his third within like half a minute of Florida getting their second goal to tie the game. So yeah. it was a great response, and then the Avs locked it down, and yeah, it was a bit of a hair-raising last couple of minutes there, including a incredible block by uh, <laughs> EJ. EJ there, but <laughs> yeah, they, they did what, you know, as I guess they say now these days, the, he understood the assignments. <laughs> <laughs> well, Florida had been doing that for the last few weeks, erasing deficits. They were down like four in third periods and they would win the game. So I don't really fault the abs for letting them back in the game. That's just Florida's that good. Like it happens. So it was it was just so enjoyable to see like and it's overused so much to say it but it was like a playoff type of game. It was maybe the middle of a series that you'd see in the playoffs something like that and it just felt good to see them that they can actually play that style and win and hopefully that will matter down the line. Well, speaking of the New York Rangers, the Avs would wrap up the homestand with uh, the last game of the season against the Rangers, the team that effectively ended the regular season for the Avs on March 11th of last year, the night before society inevitably collapsed due to the onset of the still ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. As was the case a week earlier at MSG, the Avs would come away victorious, this time by a score of 4-2. Mikko Rantanen, Kael McCarr, and two goals by Valeri Nichushkin would provide the offense. A goal by GT Confer late in the third, which would have put the Avs up 4-1, would be overturned by Rangers head coach Gerard Gallant, who, in his eternal desire to whether decide to make that challenge, finally go went through with it, and the goal was overturned. That set the stage for the Rangers' uh, second goal before Nichushkin would collect his second of the night. Justin Barron made his avalanche debut in place of Devon Taves, who was placed on COVID protocol. He had 13 shifts for a total of 90 minutes and 10 seconds. By comparison, Kale McCarr and Sam Gerrard logged 27-33 and 26-37, both team highs. Earl, start us off here. What did you think about this effort that kept the win streak going for the Avs on home ice? Um, I, I think 
Nichushkin kind of took over Burkowski's role because, you know, he was so huge in the second half of that game. You know, both those guys had great weeks. And it's good to see sort of those guys as, you know, I don't know what if you can call top six forwards depth scorers, but, you know, that that's kind of what they are in relation to well, not the, the top $9 line. million dollar folks. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely uh, the second tier. <laughs> and uh, I, I think on the comfort goal, one thing, I, I think JV really didn't like that because he made some remarks such that the, the refs would come over to him after a goal was scored within like 10 seconds. Like, yeah, you going to challenge? And <laughs> Gallant got like two minutes hemming and a hawing and waiting for his video coach to get the correct angle or whatever he needed. And as a fan, that kind of thing frustrates me too, because I'm like, if you're going to do something about it, you know, it should be timely and it, it should be the same amount of timeliness for every team. Definitely. Uh, the, the whole challenge, I guess, process should be shorter. It should be given minimal time to check it. It, sh- it shouldn't be to go through the thought process of gray area calls. Review should be to catch obvious things. So yeah. I know a lot of people have said and have agreed with, if you haven't found the discrepancy after 60 seconds, you're just done then call on the ice stands. And I think a lot of people would feel comfortable with that. Yeah, I would be comfortable if there was sort of a, a, a hidden clock somewhere that when it, it struck 60 seconds after a, a goal goes in, that's it. It's it's counted or not. The same thing, yeah, that you get 60 seconds to decide and then you get 60 seconds to review. And if that's not enough time, then you just have to go with what happened on the ice. Yeah, I mean, you have to go with your gut. Like last night I was watching the the Hurricanes and the Kings and early in the first period, the Kings scored and there was a a questionable play on a maybe a, a, a puck was tipped with a high stick before the, the goal went in. And it was one of those like the refs did go over to the Kings bench right away and like, hey, you're going to challenge. And it was Bob McClellan was, you know, he probably wasn't as sure as he probably wanted to be. Um, about it and he just went with a gut and said yeah we're going to challenge it then he ended up being wrong so it's one of those like if a coach is really really sure about it then he's probably had too much time to think about Benner's usually been pretty good about challenges he seems to have a decent grasp of what the video guys are going to look for and what he's probably going to win on I thought he should have challenged that insane goal against Ottawa for I, I that was just so dumb. I just I, I don't know. Like <laughs> I, I think the refs were basically telling him don't challenge this because honestly, it's there's we don't even know what we're reviewing. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know what the conversation was, but yeah. to me, that would have been the time I just would have thrown a challenge out and just and I know you have to pick what it was, maybe at goaltender interference or something, but that thing was just so ludicrous that it needed to be challenged in a different way. Like we've seen it before where they review it and then it's a good goal, but then the challenge takes it away. And it's like, this whole thing was just so dumb. It should just been no goal to begin with, but it's the process you have to go through. And at the end of the day, it's overturned. Yeah, I, mean, so the thing comp- with, I mean, with Comper's goal, it's like, you know, his butt basically grazes the goalie's mask a little bit. And, and then like, that wasn't for me, the goalie was outside the crease, and so was Comfer. So I'm not, you know, I, I, 
I myself didn't like this as an overturned goal, but you know, well, that too, exactly. It's and that wasn't the point of like the puck going in the net. So what was it like? Pr- probably like a second or two prior, but still, it wasn't part of the putting the puck in the net. So it seemed very incidental to me. But I was I was there at the game, so I was not listening to the broadcast discussing this or anything like that. But to me, it I mean, seemed have, like have you really seen like an stuff. overhead view of what happened? I did. Yeah, they did okay. show it on the thing. So I see what you're saying. Like when Comfort kind of goes through the crease the first time, he makes slight contact with him. But after that, there was no contact in the process of putting the puck into the net. Right. The actual contact that might have distracted the goalie happened outside the crease. So it's just, yeah. But it's like, yeah, we don't know what goalie interference is and neither (laughs) does anyone else. So that's kind of what happened here. Usually Benner's pretty good at identifying whenever like the stick is interfering in the pads that can usually be called goalie interference. But this wasn't a stick. It was just comfort grazing going past the crease. So whatever, they still won the game and we don't need comfort to get any more garbage time points. So (laughs) whatever. (laughs) He stole Barron's first career points. He did. On the first nuke goal. And I was really hoping that Barron got a point on that just because he made such a nice move and pass to start that play. Like he deserved a point. And then just because it grazed Comfort took it away and and by the way that was Comfort's first five on five assist this season <laughs> was it grazing off of his leg or whatever it was and took Farron's point away no I think what he did he actually he attempted to shoot it and like just graze the puck over to um, Nuke well if it helped the puck move in any way then I guess it's a little bit more fair but um, anyway, you know, Converse go to those right place, right times. Let's say that's a skill. Other people say it's luck. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. A couple other items of note from this game. Uh, we saw a, uh, a heavyweight tilt in this matchup between Curtis McDermott and Ryan Reeves. And I don't know if you two were just as shocked as I was, but... <laughs> Yeah, uh, Ryan Reeves went down pretty uh, pretty soundly in that matchup. I will, yeah, I'll, I'll give Koki the the credit for that. Like, he won that fight. I don't think it was. I didn't think it was that definitive, but it was just. It was funny that finally it happened, and like you had mentioned previously, he didn't go with Gudis or anything in the Florida game. It also could have been partially because he played literally three minutes in the Florida game, but. With Taze out, he had to go back on defense, and he played a little bit more. And, you know, when you were bringing up about Vegas, and um, that kind of made me think, did he have any history as a king when Reeves played with Vegas? Sure. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Who doesn't? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. If you've seen Reeves enough, you probably do have history. I didn't look it up in the fight log or anything, but... Yeah, I'm sure there were, have been words between the two before. I guess, you know, it, this fight was a little bit more interesting than the stupid one against the Ducks, which is 100% staged. Yeah. 
The funny thing, though, is the Rangers scored pretty soon after that fight. So it wasn't the old get the abs going what people wanted, but it is what it is. Yeah, I think we just have to accept that's probably what's going to happen with those. (laughs) (laughs) Because people got their entertainment. But no, I don't think it's the reason why the abs won the game against the Rangers. Not at all. It was the absolute fire alarm that went off during first intermission. That was <laughs> what we can point to. Yeah, that that was really strange. Like how it happened was they were interviewing this um, youth hockey player at, at intermission, and um, I forget who. I don't know if it was Rachel. Maybe it was Rachel. And she asked him, "Who's your favorite player?" And it like beeped right as he said that. And I thought it was almost like a setup, like. He said his player, and I doubt he would come out, but maybe they would have given him, like, a stick or something. Like, you know how they set up those things where there's a video and you're trying to surprise someone? It's like, I don't know what's happening. There's a big, loud beep. Oh, look, here's a surprise. I totally thought that's what was coming. That would have been actually a really (laughs) clever piece of marketing had that been the case. But <laughs> and so it took me a good minute to figure out like this wasn't part of the whole bit and they just kind of were like sitting there and then the interview was over. So I never got to hear um what his answer was. Funny thing though, that kid was actually seated behind me. I guess I could have asked him, but I didn't. <laughs> so um it was weird though, and then it went off, but nobody moved, which is good. I mean, you don't want panic, but like nobody did anything, and the there was like this taped announcement of like the emergency system's been triggered, but stay in your seats while we investigate, and that just and then nothing happened. So I guess it was good that we weren't evacuated, and they figured out it was nothing pretty quickly. It was still really weird. I wondered if it would cause any kind of delay or anything, but it didn't. So good thing they got it figured out pretty soon after that. And then maybe after about five minutes, they just started doing like the normal intermission stuff. Like Rachel came back out and then you knew it was nothing. But like the Zambonis were still going too. So it was like nobody was <laughs> concerned. I mean, the Zamboni, what could go wrong? I guess. Like the Zambonis are still on the ice. So. <laughs> Building's not going to burn down. Uh, real quick, uh, breaking news uh, before we go on with uh, the rest of the F schedule. Uh, it's now reported by TSN that the Detroit Red Wings have also been shut down for uh, COVID protocol. But uh, we'll uh, we'll get to that here in just a little bit. So anyway, yeah, news breaking live as you hear it on this podcast. There's a first. It has happened before. I think we had a trade during the podcast. Was it Devon Taves? Mm, no, it was not. Ah. I think it was the Barry trade. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. All right. So a little bit of foreshadowing for uh, later on in this episode. So we'll uh, get to that here in a moment. Uh, before we do, let's uh, wrap up the week that was here with uh, all things abs. After the Avs defeated the Rangers on Tuesday night, they went to Nashville on Thursday to face the Predators at Bridgestone Arena. But a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Kale McCarr and Darcy Kemper would be pulled out of the lineup with less than an hour before puck drop and be placed on COVID protocol. Pavel Frensos would make his first start of the 2021-22 campaign, his first start since March 11th, 2020, against the aforementioned New York Rangers. 
The undermanned avalanche would get goals by Miko Rantanen and Valeri Nichushkin en route to a 5-2 loss to the equally, if not further, undermanned Nashville Predators. Francis would make 30 saves on 34 shots, but even for being underpowered, that's certainly not an excuse for the effort put forth in this contest. It was revealed by Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet that the Avs were given the choice to vote on whether to play in this contest and decided, as competitive athletes are what to do, decided to go ahead and go forward and play the game. With the continual rise of COVID cases across the league, which would lead to the eventual league-induced pause that is now ongoing for several clubs, including the Avs and now, as we mentioned just moments ago, the Detroit Red Wings, among others, this decision to play on has certainly has a fool's errand vibe to it. Well, there's definitely a lot to unpack here. I think there's definitely some hindsight with that. I mean, you have to go with, like, is three people enough to stop a game from happening and it's been no and if you look at there were teams that have had at least half a dozen in protocol um that kept on playing like eventually ottawa and islanders stopped but it would have been after like a week um st louis has had several vegas has had several so knowing what has happened the rest of this weekend you could say like they should have had a little bit more foresight. But I mean, first of all, this is the Avs who decided to go on this trip without any extra players. To me, that's just as irresponsible. Knowing that you have guys that are entering protocol and you still don't bring anybody extra. And I also don't fault them for playing this game because Nashville was in the exact same situation. It didn't happen that day. Like their positives had been earlier in the week. So they were a little bit more prepared for it, but they had just called up four guys from the AHL that were playing in the game. So to me, I felt like it was fair that it was sort of an even issue kind of thing. And they were already there. Like it's only just going to make the schedule more difficult on them, on their travel, their rest, their preparation to go back out there and play at the game that they could have played. I mean, yeah, it sucks that they lost, but, you know, um, I think it was fair. Yeah, I, I, I disagree on this. I, I don't think it was I, – I don't think this was executed as well as it could have been. And, and the reason is, is that you're pulling guys out, you know, within an hour of game time. Like, if it was, if it was something like Kemper and – uh, Makar were pulled out, you know, I, I guess they found about Comfer that morning. If, if, if those tests had sort of spurred the action in the morning, I'm fine with it. You know, having Kemper and Makar and Jack Johnson pulled out just before the game, you know, Johnson tested out so that, you know, he, he managed to get back in about 15 minutes into the first. Um, th- that's where I don't like the sort of difference in preparation. Sure, the abs were definitely more rattled and right. Also and I, I, I don't think it would have influenced the actual outcome all that much. So I, but I, I think, and Jared Bednar remarked about this after the game. It basically, you know, he wasn't happy about the way that you know you're getting tests back within an hour of game time and, and having to pull guys out just. Well, the yeah. whole rapid test is something that they've been doing. Like, I don't know how often they had to do it this year, but last year it was like an every game thing, especially after like the first shutdown. It was something they had to do all the time. So the whole right, like, but you don't do it. Before. It's like you do it in the morning. 
no, you can't do the rapid tests in the morning. The rapid tests have to be after they arrive at the arena while they for the game. For the game, yeah. The there's two different things that they get. They get the PCR tests are the ones they get in the morning, and they're usually from like the day prior. But when there's an ongoing problem or they suspect an outbreak, they can get a rush on those tests. Now it's it did, sounded like that is not what they did as it was last year protocol. So you could say if they had done that and they had taken their, um, what day was that? Thursday tests had them rushed back before game time. Then maybe they would have known more than like an hour before the game. So you could say maybe that was part of the problem, but the whole rapid testing thing, it was nothing new. It's just something that hadn't caught them before. I remember like when Miska couldn't dress one of those nights, like some guys had been caught by it. It just was never anybody important enough that anybody cared. So, and Miska's was a false positive too, but he was pulled after arriving at the arena. Now you could also say maybe Benar's argument is when you're getting into five 30 and six o'clock, that's way too late. You could argue why were, why wasn't this done? And I don't have a problem with taking guys that are, you know, COVID positive out of games, but it just, you need to know this earlier in the day. Like it, if someone is negative in the morning and positive that afternoon, I just, I, I don't see the difference. You know, I, I think you kind of need to, to go with, you know, what you have five hours before game time is what you play with. And if, you know, if you have to pull guys out afterwards, that's another issue. Um, well, I mean, some people would say that you need to know up to the second, and that's why they supplement it with rapid tests. Yeah, but, I mean, is there that much difference? I mean, you're talking about an hour. You know, it's not like you've got COVID. It's like it, it reaches a threshold of detectability. So it's it's, you know... Maybe McCarr right, and Jack anyway. Johnson and Kemper yes. weren't detectable in the morning, but then they were in the afternoon. Like, there's no difference there. It's like you should be able to tell that in the morning or, you know, five, six but hours before the game time. Yeah, but yeah. I guess they weren't detected. Right. So, I mean, for me, knowing the process that getting tested before game time is nothing new, it's hard to say that they were really royally screwed here. And knowing exactly what time that they would that they got tested, say last year, or when they got the results, it definitely seems like something that should have been done before the guys were dressed and everything. Because I, yeah, I do get the point. Like at that point, you're already in the room. you're already dressed. But people would say every second that you're around other people, spreading your infection, right? Worse it is. So and in 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 a pre vaccination world. Like, I totally agree with that. Like, there's just no way you wanted those guys on the ice. But it's like, and I, I'm not one of these people that says, like, you shouldn't test vaccinated people, vaccinated players, and yada, yada, yada. I mean, you know, if you got it, you got to you got to sit out. But um, it, it's just the timing thing. And I, I think the timing is annoying. And it seems like it would be a nice compromise to at least just do it once a day, then once, if you've cleared for the day, then you've cleared. Right. And then, and then you move on to the next day. But Agreed. it's, it's certainly part of the panic button stuff that they need to figure out. 
and as far as the game goes, I mean, I guess it's kind of secondary now, but you know, um, they were short. They were playing some guys they probably didn't want to in places that they had to. Um, you know, Jordan Gross. It seemed pretty clear that after Jack Johnson came back, that, that Bednar wasn't wild about playing him too much. He had half his minutes before Johnson made it back into the lineup. Um, and in, in in Gross's defense, it's not a great situation for him to be in either. It's like you know, here he is. This is the first time he's been with the team since very early in preseason. He hasn't practiced with them. Um, you know, I, I'm sure he wants to make as good a, an impression on his teammates and the coaching staff and everybody else as possible. And, and he wasn't put in a situation to succeed. Um, well, definitely, I'm not holding this game against anybody for sure. No, I. But it's easy to tell that he didn't really fit in, and like Ben, I mean, he probably could have fit him- in a little better with a practice or two. <laughs> Um, sure, but they also don't pay for guys to join them for practice. Like that was the first day that Maltsev had any had even been around for a morning skate. Was that Thursday in Nashville? Twice he he played with them without even having a morning skate. Right, but Maltsev was with the team a lot longer in preseason than Gross was. Gross is one of the first cuts, so. Okay, well, that goes back to he just doesn't like him. Like, right. <laughs> but he's got to use him, and he needs to be able to get him up to speed, you know? <clears throat> well, <laughs> it is a catch-22. It's like, it is. Realistically, you're going to have to use these guys, and you're going to need to give them more time. Maybe it's because McEwen had just gotten hurt in the Eagles game. They probably would have preferred him as the next guy up, but... I wouldn't have. Oh, over Gross, I mean, it's just clear that Gross doesn't have NHL talent. Well, we're talking about slim pickings here anyway. Like, Right. It's like you've you've called up your best defenseman. You've got Barron up there. You've got Mac, and, and it's just, you know, th- you've got what you've got. You're, you're reaching down into the depth to get bodies. So it's, Yeah, it's, they were at the point where Middleton and Clerman were the only two NHL contracted defensemen left. Right. So it's just... Cause it, Gilbert's it wasn't a great too. situation, and um, I just don't just, think he's going to see much more time outside of the apocalypse. Right, and if he does, I hope that you know, I, I do think that he can look better than he did. I don't think he's going to ever look like he belongs there, but I, I you know, but they just don't just, seem to value that. Like they're not going to pay a day to have a guy practice, or they don't even want. It to decide I mean, until the morning and then the guy can't even have the morning skate. Like this is something ongoing. I know, and but if they hadn't canceled the Tampa Bay game, like he would, you know? Sure. I mean, of course they need, need anybody that was fit to play at that right. point. It's just obviously when you're losing six guys or whatever, that's nothing that a team can prepare for. Right. Like I get that. But in the process of getting to that, it again exposed how they dropped the ball. Like, consistently not having extra players at your disposal at all is what puts them into these situations. Like, I've heard the argument a lot, well, it wasn't fair because Nashville had 18 skaters and Avs had 16. Like, that was their own doing. When you go on a road trip and you know you're already having COVID problems and you 
don't bring an extra player, then you know you're going to play short. Like, that's just common sense at that point. Like, yeah, this I mean, they, they lost they three guys, and I'm sure they're just sitting there like, <laughs> oh, what do you think is going to happen? Lose three guys on game day? When has that well, ever happened? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just consistently just rolling the dice. And you could make the argument, like, what diff? because it certainly probably would have been like Sherwood and Magna. That's the other thing, is those guys are cheaper than guys on ELC. So when you're faced with, like, a disaster situation, it's always going to be the cheap guys. It's, well, it's if just, I was they're they're a ELC, lot deeper at forward than they are at defense, too. I mean, that's just... Yeah. That's if the way I was it signing is. an ELC, I would go for low AAV and higher signing bonus, or performance bonus, because that's how you get called up. But, um, like, would that have made a difference? They had Sherwood in the lineup. Would it have been more fair? I mean, it would have taken a few minutes away for maybe some guys that got overworked. But so you could see it one way or the other. Like, there's a reason why teams dress 18 skaters and have a fourth line. On the other hand, how much difference does it make? Is it worth it? Should teams even just... I guess this could get to the point. If it saved you money... Why even have like your 11th and 12th forward? Do those guys really matter? Or would it be more beneficial to have the money at the end of the year? Uh, that would be an interesting study. Um, <laughs> because if yeah, they're I mean, trying I, I think... to skirt by and tr- like they can't even. And because they are now 200,000 over into the LTIR threshold, they're not even banking right now. I'm sure they would love to have 10 days off and have set the roster at 20 and just bank away, but they can't like at this point, why even have those guys? If they're just going to ride the top of the cap like that and they're screwed with one injury. Oh, even all right, worth what, it why didn't they send around. gross down when they sent Baron and Maltzen down from looking at the other teams, everyone else set their roster at 20 as well, like Florida okay. and et cetera. So it seems like that is something where, because if they had set him down, they would have had their roster at 19. And mm. then they, they had already just put McDonald on IR. I think if they had known, then they wouldn't have done that. Then they could have sent Gross down and then McDonald would have counted as 20. But where they were at at that point, I just think they had to leave it at 20 because all the other teams did. It's funny that a lot of the team, the other teams that had actually used the non-roster designation for all their COVID guys were activating the ones that were put on earlier. Like Florida did Ekblad. Um, I think uh, Nashville did Geo Hansen, who was their first guy. So they moved all those guys off off of non-roster to the active roster to get to 20. I guess, presumably, because by the time they're playing again, those guys will be out of protocol first. But, I don't know. It's something about, for some reason, they had to have it at exactly 20. Or at, or at least 20. So why aren't the Avs using non-roster COVID? I have no idea whatsoever why they will not use non-roster. It seems like... And it, that's something that's been available all season. It's not one of the new... Uh, things that, that came along with the new protocols, like that's been available all year? Yes. Yeah, other okay. teams have done it. And exactly, it doesn't give you cap relief, but it gives you the roster spot. So yeah. when you need to make a COVID recall, I don't know if it was something about the emergency recall designation, like 
the fact that they called say Baron up for McDonald as as like an injury recall rather than say Taze as the uh, COVID recall could maybe that gave them different rights to the recall or something like that. But as far as I could tell, it seems really silly just to not put all your COVID guys on non roster because that's where they belong. But <clears throat> then it also created this issue where they didn't even have enough people to um, get to 20. So if they had put, say, Taze and Burkowski on non roster, then maybe they wouldn't have been able to send Baron and Maltov down, which I guess you could make the argument maybe they would have been better off if they had these guys down. Yeah. But definitely strange, for sure. It is. And it, it's it's tough when you have a team that doesn't explain things, and we get cryptic <laughs> notes from Peter Baugh that more guys tested positive after the game. Big surprise. I think so. that's just really ridiculous. Every other team announces it. Like, and I heard the argument, what does it matter? Like, does it really matter to us who did and didn't test positive? And I say, yes. If we're above the threshold of we just turn the game on, on our non-existent service on TV and watch the game, we turn it off and move on with their life. Clearly, we're not those people. Clearly, we care about the players who's sick and then also how it could impact the roster. Like, this is just basic information that other teams provide. But yet, the abs just don't do it. Which pisses me off. I mean, I don't mind them not telling us who. I'd I'd like to know how many. I'd like to know, like, say if Taves is now tested out or something like that. Like, I'd like to know that. Um, You know, things like that. Just to, you know, when, when guys are getting better, you know, we, we do care about these guys outside of hockey as fans. So you'd kind of like some information like, you know, these guys are okay, especially with Taves since he was, you know, semi-symptomatic or somewhat symptomatic, however they called it. <clears throat> it's just funny that other teams consider public information. Even after they were shut down, like, Calgary continued to provide updates. You know, all these other teams continue to provide updates. I'm sure it's not something that their PR guy loves doing, but they do it. It's just part about being a competent sports franchise, and it's disappointing, especially since the league put out that list every single day last year. So it was out of their hands. So we knew exactly who was and wasn't on COVID protocol. And maybe the league will bring it back now that there needs to be transparency. It's not just for the fans. It's also, what are they hiding? You could make that argument, too. By not being transparent. (laughs) Right? Like, you don't even have to say who's on protocol. So how does anybody know that the abs are following it? Just because they say, there's a few more guys? You don't even... If they don't have to say who it is, then they can just make up their own rules. It's ridiculous. Yeah, because, I mean, it's it's going to force speculation when you don't say things. Like, everyone's going to say, like, oh, I bet Frank had it, and that's why they had to shut down. <laughs> um, you know, and my thought was, like, maybe Gross had it, and that's why he didn't get set down. And there's, you know, obviously it other just reasons. wouldn't have been 
I, I mean, anybody could test positive any time, but he would not have had enough time to get it from the team. And Gross already had COVID, so. I was trying to, that's the other thing I was trying to remember, which of the Eagles already had COVID. Yeah, I know. I totally, I was like, who had it? God, and, you know, it's like, did Bowers have it? I know he's been injured all year, but I think he had COVID too. Yeah, I think he had it right away. Yeah. Like when McKinnon had it, maybe that's where, maybe that's where they, he got it. Like Middleton did, um, Secura yeah. for sure. They even admitted that. Yeah. Um, yeah, Gross was out for a little bit. So basically, anyone that was out for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, Burke. That had guy. It. Burke had it. Yeah. So maybe smart Speaking. guy to sign. You know, we can call him up. <laughs> what do you know? They did. <laughs> <laughs> so in the but wake of the. Fallout from Nashville, the Avs were among the first few teams that the league postponed their games through December 26, which effectively scrubbed off the home game against the Tampa Bay Lightning and three upcoming road games before Christmas at Detroit, Buffalo, and Boston. As we record on this on this episode right now, the earliest return date for the Avs would be Monday, December 27th against Vegas at T-Mobile Arena with a huge asterisk around that because we don't know what's going to happen. It's interesting. The two of those teams have gone into protocol themselves. I so. feel like, um, well, when we were talking about Detroit, how you mentioned they had just got, and I know they got some extra positives, but when they only had one game left, they only had the Thursday game left. So I think that makes it a lot easier to then just cut it off and send everybody home. Same thing with Boston. I think they had already had two, including ours, they had the Montreal postponement. So at that point, you're, you're talking about just straggler games. But it sounds like, you know, it's everybody, but truly it's only like about 10, 12, 15 teams. There's 20 other teams that aren't even impacted right now. Some of them had been impacted earlier. Like I'd mentioned Ottawa and Islanders for sure. Um, you know, St. Louis and Vegas went through theirs without any postponements. So it's almost, and I know that people hate hearing like it just has to go through the league because you shouldn't just be okay with disease spread and everything. But that's what the reality is it's going to be. It's just going to have to impact and affect the team. And then once everybody clears through it, you can reasonably assume that you're going to go through the rest of the season. Like anybody that's been positive, they are not even tested for three months. So if you have a majority of your team, that's not even going to be tested moving forward, then that puts them in a lot different, say category than some other teams. I don't fault the NHL for trying to get every game possible in before Christmas. I mean, every game they play is, an, is one that they don't have to try and make up at another time. So, I feel like they should try to schedule some games between teams that don't have any current issues just to get some off the table. What, like this week? Right. Like maybe they yeah. should look at it now that they have more options available. And, and I understand it takes time. Like teams aren't just going to jump up, but you have a couple days notice and you can go to a city and knock out a game or two wouldn't that be a good idea it depends because it it really does sound like the olympics are 
going to be off the table pretty soon. So they're going to have, you know, three Time plus weeks. With, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that, that sounds like it's, oh, it's three weeks. God, they could schedule 20 games if they felt like it, but you know, you really can. It's not that easy. And again, it's, it's, it's something that you're you're dealing with two teams that are in different parts of the country, plus an arena that may or may not have been booked for that time. So, because um, you know, they were talking about Tampa trying to reschedule with the Avs, you know they're not coming back out to the West Coast until another time when the Avs are totally booked up and or elsewhere or whatever. Oh yeah, it's not easy, but for sure they could get at least probably four or five. I mean, if if you have three weeks to work with, you should be able to schedule four or five games somehow. Yeah, it was funny when I was looking through our schedule and like some of the other teams that had been paused. There is a sneaky light week built into everyone's either March or April. Like for the Avs, for example, if anybody's familiar with their schedule, then they go to Pittsburgh early April. They almost have like nothing else the rest of that week. Which is a little odd, considering just how jam-packed everything else is. So, and everyone seems to have a, a certain little week in there where they're only playing like two games in ten days or something off like that. Where it, it's funny, it, it does seem like the league was trying to build in a little bit of a buffer room. Well, I, I, that also could be. I think there's. I, I think a lot of the teams did not like having the bye week. Um, you know, we've, we've seen a lot with the abs when they come back from a bye week they're awful cold um, I would assume a lot of teams are in the same boat, but having a light week isn't bad um, so that, that might be sort of what they were thinking there Yeah, better than a bye well, after having a three week Olympic break I guess you don't really want to give a team like a bye per se Remember the problem with the bye was at first they all weren't the same week and then people complained. Like one team was having their bye right after Christmas. Another team was having it mid-February that it threw off the competitive advantage yeah. there. There's not a good way to do it unless you're just going to break for a week with everybody and they don't want that. I think what did they do? Like half, half the league was one week, half was the other, which seemed a lot more fair. but. Um, yeah, we'll see how they reschedule. I know last time they like moved a lot of games, but they don't necessarily have to now with the three weeks available to them. I also wonder if making the season a little bit longer is on the table. I know they don't want to go long again, but it's already through the rest of April. Like They're not necessarily married to any... S- schedule they're used to let's say for the playoffs so if they took one more week and went into may is that really gonna i I think they definitely don't want to do that (laughs) i i think they they want to keep sort of june and july 1st the way it's always been well it's already not going to be july 1st right but i mean it's already as close as possible yeah they're trying to move it closer back i'm not saying they just have weeks to go by but even just taking five days, you could put in three, four games. You know, you can they can sandwich in with without moving things up very far. 
Well, time will tell to see how all of this shakes out once uh, we have more details on what the league decides to do with these uh, postponements or if there's going to be any future delays in the schedule. One thing I wanted to ask you guys is you, you both attended games this week, obviously. Was there anything different at Ball Arena? You know, I realize that things have gotten hotter since that. Um, but, you know, was, was there anything different this week than it than had been sort of through the rest of the season? No, because the COVID situation in Colorado is actually improving. I would agree. There's There was no change in enforcement of the mask mandate inside the arena. People are still flaunting the rule because they're getting in wearing the mask and then they're either doing this stupid chin strap thing or they're just taking them off entirely if they're not going to wear them the right way or the proper way or however you want to look at that. So it really is just uh, business as usual, if that's the right term. I mean, do you see once they get back, do you, do you think that anything's going to change there? I mean, due to the league, obviously the, the situation locally is a lot different than in other places. I would say no, it's all driven by how, how things are going locally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what the, the players do and what the team does is completely different from what the public's going to do. Now, I mean, would media policy be different stuff like that? Yeah, but as far as, like, from a fan perspective, it's all going to be driven by, you know, local things. I don't think there's really much more that they can do publicly at this point. Um, the, the, the mask requirements in the test requirement or the vaccination proof is there. So I think their options are pretty limited in terms of trying to implement additional safety precautions other than reducing the indoor capacity at this point, which I, they're probably not going to do that again. Nope. <laughs> Not unless they have to. I mean, we, we've seen in Canada, obviously, the, the Habs played a game with no fans, and they, they were talking before various teams shut down about reduced capacities in, in Canada. But it, it yeah, just seems like that not just the not just the NHL, but the NBA and the, the NFL, are they would rather do anything else than do that. And I mean, I kind of agree. If you're going to have a game, you know, you may you, you may as well do it full on. Well, what I would see it move towards is then, you know, if the local governments want to swing a hammer on the next step, it would be uh, mandatory boosters, right? Because why would you just want to shut down when the tool available to help exists? Right. So I would also see that for the players. And I know that they don't want to cross that bridge where anything's mandatory for the players. But like with their protocols, they make it pretty easy to make one choice versus the other. So rather than, say, shutting the league down for weeks, you would just say, look, we need everybody to take this booster. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think the abs have, and if you're not vaccinated or boosted or whatever, then you may not be available to us. And you know, that, that's not cool with us as a group. Um, right. So you could maybe see anybody that didn't get sick then get the booster or just like teams that haven't been impacted. Like I said, there's about 20 teams that really aren't dealing with it right now. It doesn't make any sense for them to go home for a week. Then they come back. And then let's say three weeks from now is when they're 
issue comes up. It just doesn't do any good. So it is part of that case-by-case thing that they mentioned at the time. And it would seem like, you know, in the interim that teams are going to have to get more serious about getting the booster. I I think one thing that a lot of teams were probably worried about is the the obvious vaccination hangover that, that most of us have had. You know, they'd, you know, if if a guy gets a booster, then he may not be able to go the next day, or maybe even the day after that. Um, so it's like I, I think a lot of teams were probably waiting for this Christmas break to do or that, or the Olympic we, break, or like say or, the Olympic break, right? But I mean, it, you do have you know a, a pre-planned break um, from the twenty third to the twenty seventh um, for most teams, you know that that guys could get the shot and not have to worry about it. Um, and I, I think you know, it's just, it's become a little more urgent, obviously with the, the way things have gone. Yeah. And so I would, for me personally, I think that makes the most sense. It also makes the most financial sense. I mean, it just doesn't make like I said, sense to have a tool available to help mitigate things. And you're just not using it. And then the right. alternative is just no games, no money. You know, why would they choose that? Right. And for you know, someone like Gabe that's in, injured right now, it's like this would be a great time for him to get the booster. I don't know. Exactly. Or it, yeah, pretty much anybody that, that could do it now should be something they should think about and will help when games start playing again. I won't say that I'm fully responsible for JoJo getting waived, but I did put that energy out there into the last podcast episode. So (laughs) I don't remember us talking about it, but I think because he had had been put on wave. Yes, he had been put on waivers, I believe, when we recorded. So we knew that. Yes. Um, I just really wish they hadn't. And I don't think it's hindsight. The argument always is you can't carry three goalies. Like, how are they ever going to practice? Who's ever going to get work? Like, Let's get to that point where we have a goalie that hasn't done anything and then make that decision with the injuries and everything that's happened around the Avs. I would assume there is a need before I would assume there won't be a need. I I just think they were put in a spot with Gabe's injury and Frank coming back that they, they just, they didn't think they had the capacity to keep Jojo on the roster. I mean, they hadn't even seen Frank play in the NHL yet. I, but they I'm had to get him back on the roster. Like, and he was on the roster. They all were on the roster for that Florida game. Yeah. I just would have given it a week, two weeks. You know, everything's going great. I understand you have to make a decision at some point. But to I, they, gave, they didn't even give it one day. And... um. They're just so thin. Like, they're not going to want to use Anandin again outside of just complete one-game emergency basis. Like, they're never going to have him up for weeks just sitting around as the backup. I mean, honestly, you wouldn't want to use JoJo like that either. I I like JoJo. I thought he made a lot of progress with the Avs. And he may come back. You know, we we know that if if Florida has to wave him at some point, they'd be kind of fools not to because Spencer Knight is better than he is. Right, it does sound pretty temporary. As long as they don't give an injury, they they will have to do it at some point. Right, and I just said I, I don't think 
they were that sorry he got claimed, and I don't think they're that worried about it. And I kind I of agree because there are times like you know there are certain games that JoJo played in, and you're just like, where's the guy from last game? And that's you know obviously he's a third goalie, and that's why. But it's but that's something they didn't have, and that's something they don't have now. Is the problem like no, it's not the be all end all. It's almost like a high school diploma. It's, it's not really that important until you don't have one. I just I, I think they're. I, I don't think that the drop off between he and Ananen is that big, and if Ananen is their future, I. I don't think know, they I, want any part of Ananen in the NHL, other than, like, what do you? Yeah, I mean, who would? For- I mean, you, you don't want to get to your third goalie, no matter who it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just not even sure they're comfortable with him in a third capacity. Like Jojo was the third goalie, but he was the backup for two months. So was he really the third goalie? No, he was the backup goalie. That's the thing where it's like, oh, your third goalie doesn't matter. Right. As if he remains a third goalie, he doesn't matter. What When it matters is when he becomes the backup goalie. It's like the 13th forward. Nobody cares who the 13th forward is until he's in the lineup, and then he's no longer the 13th forward. I, I, I think there was an amount of frustration with his play that they're like, he's not a backup. We like him as a third goalie, but if someone ends up claiming him that's you know that's it's part of the game i think they'd been paranoid for years that's why they didn't have one that's why they'd always either trade for one then cleared waivers or trade for one after the deadline and it's just such a waste and now that they don't have that anymore i mean i'll just be sick if they have to do that again at the deadline because they don't have freaking jojo anymore that's when it becomes a problem. If they're totally fine with having Adonin and Minor as the only two NHL contracted okay, Miska, but as them as the only NHL contracted goalies. Like what if Miska becomes the quote third goalie? How are people gonna feel about that one? If the third Pity. goalie doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter that Miska, right? <laughs> <laughs> he can sit around and hold the door and it doesn't matter. I mean but if he matters- doesn't play, I don't have a problem with it. You know? <laughs> If as long as they if they can wait around and wait till JoJo comes back, that's great. But I really hope he comes back before they have to make another move because throwing away another pick or another prospect, like we all think it's going to be like Neil Zaman, send him for another goalie. But no, it's probably going to be something stupid like Bowers, just thinking of a freaking third goalie. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to worry about that until it happens, but. <laughs> My, you know, my my thoughts are their situation right now isn't that bad without JoJo. So it's not that bad when Frank and Kemper are healthy, right? Absolutely, and they are. Well, Kemper's relatively healthy, (laughs) and Frank is as far as we know. But (laughs) so yeah, as long as nobody gets injured, there's no disaster, there's no more COVID, we're fine. But um, the other transaction was them signing Cal Burke, which I think surprised a lot of people. I don't think it surprised you and I as much. I wasn't surprised. I mean, I was surprised, like, hey, that's pretty cool. I mean, and, and I know I like him more than you, but... <laughs> I've warmed up to him. I I didn't really love him last year, but I don't know. If He's you better now. Yeah, that's true. He has improved. And if you had to pick someone, like it wasn't like Middleton who was like negative 12 after 
13 games. And you're just like, how on earth did that guy earn an NHL contract? Mm -hmm. At least with Burke, he's been around for a year and whatever you want to call this year. And he's gotten better and he does sort of fill a role. So if it was needed to keep his rights or just to have another person available for the apocalypse, I, yeah, I mean, he's a decent choice. I wouldn't, if they had to use him, I mean, whatever at this point. Well, we haven't discussed this, but I mean, you know, was there someone sniffing around thinking about signing him to an NHL contract? And that's why they did this right now. It's interesting because he had a signing bonus too, which raises his cap hit. That kind of makes me think, you know, this guy got a real signing bonus. Maybe there was a little bit of urgency. Yeah. I definitely um, think for him, it's more plausible than like Middleton. And because Burke was in college and, and such, so it's not like he, he's been around per se. Like this is his second year pro. And he's sort of like a center version of O'Connor, I think. People were wondering like what kind of player he's like. That's how I describe him. He's like middle six in the AHL. He'd definitely be like fourth line in the NHL, but could he be like a four C down the road if that's what they needed? I think so. He could kill yeah. penalties. He's got a little bit of O'Connor in him, uh, at least on like shorthanded. I don't, he doesn't play like that four check kind of tenacity exactly five on five, but he's got a little bit of it on the penalty kill. Did you think it was interesting that they signed him just for the rest of this year? No, because I think the ELC rules dictate that. I think it had to be a one-year ELC because of his okay. age. So yeah, okay. what confused me is in their press release, they said... 22-23. Yeah, through the rest of the 22-23. And I'm like, um, that's next year. So <laughs> either yeah. he has a two-year deal or... Which is sad because that was in the press release and that's what people write on Twitter and in their articles. And it's like, I don't think that's right, but I wanted to wait and make sure. And sure enough, it was for the rest of this year. But he should be at RFA with, I think, arbitration rights because of his age. Yeah. But at least they'll be able to, they have rights to sign him further but well and they they could have a pocket contract for next year since they couldn't sign him to a one and a half year deal that they can sign right. on January 1st. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I was thinking, no, you can't even sign your future contract right now. Yeah. And no, they couldn't, so... Because that would right. make the most sense because like, you probably don't want to call him up this year just because of the way that... like, When you sign a guy midway through the year, the cap is kind of messed up. Yeah, um, well, I mean, he's probably an apocalypse option, so I'm not going to rule it out. Right, but I mean, I mean, I don't think they signed him thinking like, boy, we need to get this guy in the NHL right now. I'm think. Well, they probably could sign him one way next year for seven fifty, and then he'd be a cheap yeah. guy to call up. So yeah, he he costs more this year. He's like eight sixty or something, which is more in line with like what count costs and such. So, well, since he signed it halfway through the year, it's actually more, but that's near like. The cap, it's only from, from now until the end of the season. It's not from the whole season. Well, yeah, right. When they call anybody up, some of that's been burned off, so they're not the full hit anymore. But, but yeah, definitely the thinking is that they would keep him. It would be silly just to sign a guy, do an ELC, and then not have him next year, which I, 
I prefer this way that you're identifying guys that have been in your organization for a little bit and, and you want to move them up. Like, you feel better about a guy like Burke getting a chance, getting an NHL contract, than just some of these guys off the street that I don't really think work out that well. Yeah, and I, I think he, along with O'Connor, they they seem to be fairly leaderly with the younger players in the AHL. Um, you know, you, you often hear about the guys texting with O'Connor up in, with the Avs and, and with Burke and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it's like he, he fits in pretty well with their program. Then I would have made him like captain instead of like Magna, who's never there. To me, that's silly. If you want to identify leadership in the AHL, they should be there. <laughs> like, they kind of have to be there to be a leader. But he's not kind of thirty-one. Prerequisites. <laughs> well, I'm sure when he's there, he can impart his wisdom and all that. It, it, he can lead without a letter. But I think if you're going to identify someone as captain, it should be part of your team. <laughs> But I'm overall positive on it. I mean, why not? And then what does he do right after he signs? Scores. Scored a goal like three minutes into his next game. So I guess it was worth it. (laughs) Now I think we're ready for stars and scratches. All right. So who's going to get a little uh, bit of extra candy in their in their stocking this this week? Vlad, why don't you go first since I stole yours last week? <laughs> <laughs> and look what happened. He's on the COVID list. <laughs> you know, I think I'm probably going to give my uh, my uh, Christmas star to. I'm going to give it to Nuke this this week. I think that's someone that I, I would talk about. Wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> he did. He did have a couple of goals in that Ranger game. He was a he was named first star in that game, if I'm not mistaken. And he's been he's been pretty solid throughout. So uh, I just yeah, I really hope they have some plan to sign him. That's he's going to be the one that really hurt if they can't find a way to make it work. Yeah, he's a guy. I just, <clears throat> I, I think, I think it's fairly obvious that he's just a great fit for the way the Avs play. Um, and it it, just, it it does seem like with his rebirth in Colorado that that he's happy there. And I, you know, I know that doesn't make a deal any easier to do or make it any cheaper or anything like that, but. Um, you know, you, you any just good contract that. talk is going to start with a guy that wants to be with a team and a team that wants the guy, and, and that does make it easier to talk things through. You just think after what he went through with Dallas and just how difficult it was to meet expectations and this and that and everything that – why would you want to invite that again? when you know that you're somewhere you're comfortable and appreciated and, and that you don't have to meet any higher expectations. 
And they only made him talk to the press once in two years. <laughs> that too. But I know it's not my money. It's not my career. Not my family. Uh, it just was really disappointing if they can find a way to make that work. Because we need him and we're going to need forward sign for next year. Absolutely. You want to go, Jackie? Um, I mean, there's a couple easy ones, but I'll give mine to Makar. He's kept it rolling with another goal, except to 13 goals. It's just, he's on an incredible run. So hopefully you can pick that right back up. And, um, it's just such a treat to watch him live too. Like he's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's crazy how good he is. And then he's even been able to improve on that, which is kind of scary <laughs> in a good way. So, yeah. and it's, he, he is really obvious with his absences. You know, he, he's missed a few games here and there, but you, you really have to think like that Nashville game would have been just a little bit different with him. It, it, you know, with with Sam playing as much as he did and having literally no help. I mean, <laughs> EJ was as good as he probably could have been and, and probably as good as he's been all year in that game. But you really needed two guys that you could count on to, to kind of work the system. And, and just one, one isn't enough. I'd also like to give an honorable mention to Baron just for stepping in, making his NHL debut. Um, you know, it was it was tough on everyone in that Nashville game, and I'd say it was like bad necessarily, but it just you can't ask a guy who's just trying to get experience to, to try to hold plug the holes in the boat. Right, and you know he he was second pair by minutes. He played a great deal with McDermott. Um, that's. You know, that's not Has an easy Baron assignment. McDermott better? <laughs> like, it's almost <laughs> like those are the two best games McDermott played. Was it, you know, did Baron have a little bit to do with it? <clears throat> I, I, I think so. And I think we said this many times. It's like when you put Jack Johnson with somebody that can't move the puck, it's just curtains. Um, and not that Baron was at his best or, or, you know, anything close to what I think he can achieve in the NHL. Um, but it did help. And then Baron's kind of been used to it because he's been playing with Middleton. So he's yeah. kind of like a decent stylistic match there too. So, right. Um, no, I'm disappointed for him that it was cut short and he was sent back. Now that could, you know, <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to need him next week, right. which they might. And um, well, I think, I think most of. I, I think Maltsev and Barron both impressed the coaching staff. Um, right. Like they were definitely good enough. Benner even said he liked Maltsev. So, yeah. Um, and Barron's able to do things solidly enough. Like he's obviously not all the way there. He's not ready to be a regular, but I think he showed that he can be a call up. That he can do just as good as any of these other dudes they would use. So, right. And he kind of reminded me of, of, of Bo a little bit last year in that he he's so calm with the puck um, doesn't really panic and he probably should have 
There were times maybe a little panic would have helped out with, with his puck moving ability, but uh, you know, you just, you, you love seeing that from a first year player, you know, coming into the NHL and he's not just like totally wide eyed and getting slammed. Uh, so it's, you know, I, I think good things are in store for him. Down the road. Yeah. I hope so too. I'm glad they're willing to use him. So hopefully that continues and get okay. a little bit more usage. Cause to me, that's like perfect for first year pro, like a high end talent like him just to even get here and there really sets you up for like the next couple years. So you can, it's like a step. So you just keep stepping up when you get a little bit of tastes here and there. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, you know, even if this is it, and I hope it's not, um, I, I do think whatever he learned over this past week will help him this summer in preparing for camp next year. So that's a good thing. Um, Definitely, yeah. I'm going to give my star to Burkowski for the hat trick. Yes, he he deserves it. <laughs> Especially Single-handedly after- won a game. Um, you know, he... That that was the streaky, the good part of his streakiness. Um, you know, we were, we really wanted to see that. Um, and again, you know, he was out for the national game. I think he was a guy that might have made a difference if he had been in the lineup. Um, you know, I think we can say that about just about everyone who missed that game because of COVID, except for Comfort. <laughs> you never know; he might have had some magic BS somewhere. <laughs> exactly, because um, that game was closer than five two. You know, I mean, it that was an empty net, and there were times when it was it close. So, yeah, they were within one at one point. It, yeah, um, yeah, it wasn't just like obvious at the beginning, like oh geez, they're not going to win this. But it, they definitely were not at their best. That's for sure. Right. I mean, the, the second period things kind of fell apart. They were obviously tired and. Things like that. that I feel bad for Frank that that was his first start too. Like what, you know, what do you even take out of that? I guess just him not assuming he's healthy after that. (laughs) Probably the best Um, take out of it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's almost, it's almost good that it went that way. I mean, it's almost like the first game uh, that he had in the AHL where that was a throwaway away as well. Um, So now he can move on. Yeah, so we're, it's almost like a free pass, I guess, because like, who was going to win that one? Just it was a little nerve wracking when people kept sliding into him. It's like, please stop! <laughs> After this, we have nothing. <laughs> After Frank, we're we're looking at Miska and that guys. So, um, and I also Frank wanted up. to give an honorable mention to Miko. Because um, he had three, he assisted on all three of Berkey's goals um, in the Ranger game, uh, or in the in the Florida game, and he also he had two goals in, of his. Yeah, yeah. Gordon. So he had, you know, another week where people probably say like, "Oh, geez, I don't even remember if Miko did anything." You know, he's got <laughs> six points, so. <laughs> yeah, and goals too. <laughs> <laughs> That sneaky scorer guy, you just don't even notice him, and there he is, two points a game. <clears throat> um, so, you know, 
we kind of expect that for Miko, so it wasn't a big surprise. But yes, a very good week for him. Indeed. All right, let's switch it up to Scratches. Who's getting the lump of coal in their stocking this week? <laughs> the COVID fairy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't know how, like, I, I don't think you can lay down anything on anyone for the, the Nashville game. No. Um. You know, I, I, I think the, the team about- played very well in, in both the Ranger and, and Panther games. So, um, yeah. I mean, this is, pr- I mean, I have a name, but I agree with the point that it's really hard to pinpoint somebody this week when there's two wins in a game that pretty much just didn't, it wasn't a real game. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and it, I know just because of the slow start, you know, the Avs are probably going to be playing catch up all season. Um, you know, unless Minnesota cools off. Um, I, I think it's interesting. I was looking at some stats that the Avs have, they're the only team in the NHL that has scored more goals than Arizona has let in. Earl, that um, hurts. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to put it that way. No, I'm just, uh, I'm just saying. Without you know, with, with missing as many games as they have, there's still no teams that are even close to them in, in goals for. Um, you know, the the teams that are within like ten have played at least two more games. Um, well, when you score seven every game, kind of kind of adds up <laughs> it does um yeah i mean i you know i i i do think it'd be fun if they could you know i, I don't think they'll stay where they are now um the best offensive abs team was the team in 95 96 and they were just a goal short of four per game um, i'd probably like to wait until we're at least in like game 60 before oh, looking yeah. at like where they're going to be at as far as historic pace and everything, but. Yeah. And it, you know, and they're doing this all with, you know, a fairly mediocre power play. Uh, And that's, again, that's, that's something I've looked at historically. The Avs have never had a a really good power play uh, throughout their existence. You know, even in the, the glory years, they were still like 22%, 23%. You know, you've got Joe Sackick and Milan Hayduke and Peter Forsberg on your power play, and you're less than 25%. What's up? And I, I think that's also because historically they've drawn a ton of penalties. And I think the more penalties you draw, that kind of suppresses your percentage. But going back to scratches, yeah, I'm going to stick with the COVID fairy. <laughs> okay, I have a name, and I know it feels a little unfair this week, but I'm going to say McKinnon. And that, there's a reason why I just wanted to discuss. It's more that this is the place where I just wanted to discuss. I was looking at his numbers a little bit, not because I feel like he's truly one of the worst players this week. I just think he's still working his way through 
getting his game back to where it should be. So this isn't like a true scratch. This is just more like a mention. But, you know, I've seen a lot about talking about his shooting percentage and how that's the reason for why he hasn't scored any goals or that nobody should pick on him because he definitely still has a lot of points, which I totally recognize that. And a lot of them are at five on five. It's just, I don't think you can just hand wave the goal scoring issue just because of shooting percentage, because in his career, he's had a shooting percentage issue. Like last year he shot six, per- 6%. So like before his big breakout, he was a 5% shooter. And then he had that huge year when he should have won the heart trophy and he shot at 13% and then it's declined every year since then. So I think that's something that should be recognized as, you know, why is his shooting percentage going down? And shooting from further away from the net. (laughs) Well, one thing I've found is he's getting a lot of shots blocked. He's getting a lot more blocked. His Fenwick's lower and his blocked shots are higher. So I think that's one reason for his frustration. Now, is he just, like you said, is he, if he's shooting from further away, that's easier to get blocked or just his frustration is him forcing things, is doing it too. And for me, I think it's important to separate like five on five and power play. On the power play, shooting 4%. I think that's, if you're going to talk about luck, that's probably where I think his bad luck lies more because that's been the unit that's been disarray. And that's somewhere where, on the power play, you're not going to continue to shoot 4%. So I definitely would expect some positive regression there. But as far as like his five on five shooting percentage, it's really not off trend. And I think that's some place where he needs to pick it up. I think it's tough because first of all, he usually has a spy on him. I mean, he usually has someone that's going to shadow him when he's on the ice. Um, and that's, you know, that that's something just about any great player has had. You look at Crosby or McDavid or Gretzky or whatever. I mean, you know, you, you'd be foolish not to put someone on him and double team him whenever possible. Um, and I think that's basically that that's worked for the opponents since they're forcing him to shoot from further away or on the perimeter. Um, and I, I you know, other than saying like you, you know you need to get to the dirty areas more or whatever, um, you know it's really tough to come up with a solution to it. I think if he was shooting from you know the home plate area more, I think he would be getting that shooting percentage back up where you know I don't think thirteen is realistic, but I think he should be somewhere between eight and ten. Right, I uh, agree with that. I think his his I will just call it his heart trophy year. <laughs> Is, should have been is probably going to be like his career high in, in some of those areas but yeah it can't really go below like eight to ten percent he's got to figure that out a little bit right so, and you've seen as his shooting percentage has declined that that miko's goal scoring is going up so it's not a zero sum game but um you know i i do think that when you do focus on mckinnon as a defense that you're going to be leaving someone that can score open, whether that's Gabe or Miko or McCormick. 
And hey, if that leads them to a cup and everything where he's just the assist guy and the other two are cleaning up in goals, that's fine. Like, he doesn't have to even be a 20-goal scorer to be a good player. So it's not just about like, oh boy, McKinnon needs to score goals. It's, I don't want to see the frustrated play anymore. So if he settles into a different role, is more comfortable being a distributor, which is fine, especially as a center, that's fine. But it's part of why at times you can see the struggle and you know that he can do better. And and that's somewhere where Crosby could help him if they have a discussion about it over the summer or something like that, because that's that's something like – I, I think if, if you see most great goal scorers, they tend to score a lot of goals early in their career and then become distributors as, as you know, basically the same thing happens. Teams make it harder for you to shoot, then that means there's probably someone left alone. Um, and it's, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it's, it's partially up to McKinnon. I think it's also a little bit on the coaching staff to find some way um, to get him back as a goal scoring threat because I mean he gets a lot of assists and that's great but if you don't have that threat of scoring a goal it, it becomes easier to cover the other guy and that's what you don't want to see so maybe that's something they can ponder over their break <laughs> just a light little issue <laughs> But I really don't want to like pick on McKinnon. I don't want to say like, "Oh boy, he's my scratch." I hated him this week because I didn't hate him this week. But there wasn't really anyone else to pick on. <laughs> yes, Vlad, do you have a scratch? No, I really don't have anything tonight. I mean, there's uh, everything that I can think of is just so one-offish. Like I could, I could pick on the uh, the hordes of Rangers fans that were. Uh, acting like hooligans at that at that game but was satisfied <laughs> that they left feeling yep. nice about their loss again. <laughs> <laughs> and Adam Fox wasn't good again. No, he was not. One assist and that's it. And the analytics. Whew. We're talking like 20% expected goals, folks. No bueno. But that's okay. He's a good player. He's just not Macar. <laughs> yeah. There's good and then there's excellence. And we have the realm of excellence on our blue line. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So I think uh, I th- I think I'm going to, uh, as they say, spare the rod in the spirit of the holidays this week. So we'll flip the. Well, cal- I'll be the meanie Grinch that named somebody. <laughs> so that's okay. Somebody somebody has to be right. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage to call people out. So you are doing. <laughs> A public service. <laughs> uh, we don't really know uh, what's going to happen as we, you know, bandied about the conversation of when the Avs actually will return. It does at this point look like it is going to be again against Vegas on the 27th. But in terms of when we gather around the microphones, it looks like we'll have one last show before the calendar flips to January 2022. So... We'll try and see if we can come up with some fun stuff for uh, the last show of the calendar here, at least before we all watch the ball drop for the upcoming new year. Uh, so at least at this point in the, in the schedule, the abs will keep your fingers crossed, resume their uh, 
they will resume their uh, play on, again, the 27th at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. That game is scheduled to be a start time of 8 p.m. Denver. They will return home for a first of it, I guess a mini series, if you want to call it that, between the Dallas Stars at Ball Arena. That is also an 8.30 uh, Denver start. That's probably a ESPN game, I would guess. Oh, TNT. That's a TNT game. Yikes. And then the Avs uh, close out 2021 at American Airlines Center in Dallas to face the Stars. That is a 6.30 p.m. Denver start. And that will take us out for December, y'all. Anyone Sounds else? like a grind, grindy end of the year. Vegas <laughs> and Dallas twice. Boy. Well, I think the interesting thing is the, the Avalanche will now be susceptible to, you know, basically with Tampa, I guess the, the other teams we were supposed to play this week all kind of COVID it away too. But <clears throat> it could be the Avs are now healthy going someplace and having games canceled and having to deal with that in their schedule. Right. Yeah. It just seems like. At this point, everybody's going to go through a period of issue. Maybe or maybe not, they get postponed. But yeah, that's certainly something you have to be mindful of. So hopefully it's not next week. Everything is fluid. (laughs) Any last words before we break for the holiday? Wishing a Merry Christmas to you and yours, dear reader or listener. Then ho, ho, ho. Happy holidays. Eat some pie for me. <laughs> it's all about the pies. And I'll just add, may your uh, cup of Christmas or holiday cheer be uh, overflowing with all the goodness that you can pour into it. And if not, there's always refills. So uh, with that, we will uh, leave you to your holiday cheer and your holiday your holiday uh, gatherings, if that's what you're into. So thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>